This is hell. You are listening to God's favorite radio show, Prove Us Wrong. This is hell. Seriously, prove us wrong. Send us an email at chuck at thisishell.com. Alex at thisishell.com. Tweet to us at thisishellradio. Or send us a message via Facebook and tell us why this is not God's favorite radio show. Because I'm telling you, it is. And if, uh, we'll be speaking with, uh, let's see, who? I'm going to share that in a little bit. First of all, I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap tooth radio show, podcast, live streaming host, Chuck Mertz, producing this week's show is Alex Jerry. Earlier this week on This Is Hell, we were talking with cultural critic Henry Giroux. In our conversation with Henry, we discussed a term that keeps coming up in the middle uh, in the media and is repeated by government officials in what appears to be a deliberate attempt to delegitimize the protests against systemic police violence. That term is looting. And as Henry reminded us, James Baldwin once said, captive populations don't loot. Hedge fund managers, bankers, pharmaceutical executives, big corporations, and the rest of the ultra-rich are the real looters. Today, we will be discussing the language of looting, the script that the news media rolls out during times of racial uprising, and how all of us should have been expecting this for a very long time. When we have the return of writer William C. Anderson, who posted the Truth Out article, Forget Looting, Capitalism is the Real Robbery. He also posted a story a couple days ago at Roar Magazine entitled, We Defend Ourselves So We Can All Breathe in Peace. William has appeared on This Is Hell twice in the past. He was on most recently back in June 2018 to discuss the book he co-authored with Zoe Samudzi, also a past guest on our show, both times that William was on. That book is called As Black as Resistance, Finding the Conditions for Liberation, which has a foreword by another past guest on our show. Marianne Kaba, so it's definitely worth reading. You can hear that interview and all our conversations with William at our website, thisishell.com. William is a freelance writer whose work has published has been published in The Guardian, MTV, Truthout, Pitchfork, many others. His writings can be found at truthout.com or at the Praxis Center for Kalamazoo College, which where he is a contributing editor covering race, class, and immigration. You can follow William on Twitter at William followed by the letter C, and then the word son, S-O-N, William C. Son. This week's question from, oh, real quick, I wanted to tell you. And, of course, we'll wrap up this week, as we do most weeks with the moment of truth, from contributor Jeff Dorchin. This week, Jeff gets real with a Venice Beach rabbi. This week's question from Al is, what you got on your face right now? What you got on your face right now? The person with our favorite answer to this week's question wins a This Is Hell medical face mask. Protect yourself from the coronavirus while telling everyone how you feel about the global pandemic by having the words This Is Hell splashed across your face. Going to a protest but want to be protected from the virus? Then you will want to be the person with the best answer to this week's question from hell. You can see and order your very own This Is Hell face mask right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. Listeners have contacting us uh, have been contacting us saying their masks have already arrived in time for the protests in Minneapolis and elsewhere. So who knows what you will need to protect yourself from next. Get your This Is Hell face mask today by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. Or be the person with our favorite answer to this week's question, Mel, which is, 
what you got on your face right now. You can leave your answer to this week's question mail at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisishellradio. You can tweet it to us at thisishellradio. You can email it to either of us, chuck at thisishell.com or alex at thisishell.com. But we must have your answer by the end of the show today because we will be announcing this week's winner following the moment of truth with Jeff Dorchin. Alex, how are listeners answering the question from hell? What you got on your face? What you got on your face? David G says, condensed smoke-filled beard under a bandana wrap. That sounds disgusting. Martin F says, my big Jewish proboscis. <laughs> Gorilla G says, an expression of coprophagic glee. <laughs> God. Uh, Max, <laughs> Max G says, so anger. Uh, Peter J says, neoliberalism. Mm. It's the answer to everything. Sure. Jeff G says, milk from washing off all the tear gas and pepper spray. For real, though, please, please, please just use water and stop spreading this myth. That's a good public service announcement right there. That's very handy. It, hel- it helps when you drink it. <laughs> yeah. Right? When you drink, when you eat spicy food and you drink it. Right, it but helps. not throwing milk in your face, no. Uh, John T says, putting myself in the face hugger's many shoes. <laughs> Ripley. Gardell says, salt crystals from sweating so much. Thanks, Midwest. Gross. Uh, what you got on your face? Nick A says, thankfully not Derek Chauvin's balls, because that's the last time he's going to kneel on anybody. Oof. Nor P says, protective goggles, please. Rubber bullets can be lethal. We just call them bullets, right? <laughs> it always seems weird that we just end with saying like, they fired rubber. Just say they fired on people. Or say they shot at people. Uh, Benjamin C says, a makeshift mask from a used coffee filter. Louis D, used coffee filter's pretty good. Uh, Louis D says, sauce, all kinds. <laughs> Finally, Arc T says, the dead skin mask that Chuck Todd has for his goatee. Uh, that thing is so gross. Alex, will have more of your answers to this week's question from Elf following our guest. Again, email us your answer to chuckatthisishell.com, alex at thisishell.com, message it via Twitter, Facebook. We will be announcing this week's winner at the end of the show today, following Jeff Dorchin in the Moment of Truth, so get your answers to us now. It's been a while since we checked. So let's see what's in the old inbox and what you've been emailing us at chuck at this is hell.com, messaging us via Facebook and Twitter. So it's time for listener feedback. Mika writes, hey, do either of you recall the guest who argued that violence or at least the threat of it in protests and social movements has not only been effective and necessary, but that it has been the only effective means by which serious social change has been achieved in the United States? I'm losing track of time these days, but I think it wasn't too long ago, probably the last three months, maybe six I think it was a guy, I'm 99% sure. Thanks, I have a friend that just won't shut up about violence being counterproductive. Alex, you think that you figured out who it was. I was thinking it might have been Brad Evans, but I don't think it was Brad Evans. And then I was thinking maybe it was the conversation we had about Tacky's revolt, but I don't think that was the conversation. You think it was something else. Who- uh, it was Kelly Carter Jackson, but she's not a guy. So uh, yeah. let me keep working on that. That, what was the book that she wrote? Can you remember? Uh, Forceful Demands uh, on... Oh, no, sorry. The name of her book was uh, Force and Freedom, Black Abolitionists and the Politics of Violence. Yeah, I think that's it then. That's got to be it, right? So, yeah, I think it was the Kelly Carter Jackson. So Only, if, only Mika knows for sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, Mika also continues. Also, if you are interested, I might have somebody that would make a good correspondent, in this case, Japan. He lives there, although I think his academic beat also covers China. He's a scholar of Japanese and Chinese Buddhism, history, literature, etc. He sent me a pretty interesting email on his take on Japan and the virus recently. Let me get back to him, make sure he's cool with me sending it on to you. Stay safe, stay sane. Don't take any rubber bullets, or do, I don't know, Mika. 
I remember that interview about how violence works and getting demands addressed because it's one of those perspectives on our show that I disagree with, feel uncomfortable considering, do not want to believe is true. But after keeping an open mind, considering a point of view which is anathema to my way of thinking, I learned and realized, yeah, sadly, violence gets stuff done. I quoted former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld er earlier this week, uh, making that argument shortly after the invasion of Iraq in 2003, that specifically looting gets stuff done. And it apparently has but we'll get into that language of looting in a few when we talk to William C. Anderson. And if anyone has suggestions for correspondence anywhere in the world, please send them along to chuck at thisishell.com. Steve sent us a guest suggestion via Twitter at thisishellradio. Steve writes, hi, Chuck. I highly recommend that you invite historian David McNally onto the show. His latest book, Blood and Money, War, Slavery, Finance, and Empire, is an amazing history of the relationships between money and society that covers a vast time period, ancient Greek, Greece and Rome to the present, in a mere 239 pages. So a big history book, I guess. David's style is clear, and the book is full of insights and demystifications that provide powerful antidotes to the one-dimensional neoliberal and classical views of the role of money in society. He's also a very nice guy and terrific speaker and activist. I hope you're feeling better, but do not rush it. I have a brother with diverticulosis, so I have some idea of the pain involved that you must be going through. Best wishes, Steve. Thanks, Steve. The book sounds great, and we're adding it to the list of potential guests for upcoming shows. I appreciate the kind words as well. And to be clear, I have diverticulosis, the osis, but Alex was correct when he posted that I had the itis because the osis is the ongoing disorder. But when it becomes acute and so painful that you really can't do anything, that attack is called the itis. And now... You know. Daniel in Portland, Maine emailed us at chuckatthisishell.com writing, Hey, you beautiful radio warriors. First off, I want to thank you for attempting to help me get in touch with your Hungary correspondent, Todd Williams, while my girlfriend and I were wandering on a feeble budget through Eastern Europe back in summer of 2018. So around the time that William C. Anderson was on our show last time. Luckily, everything worked out, and we ultimately were not forced to assimilate with the fabled Shikos of the Pushta, to meet our basic needs. That's the famous horse riders of the Hungarian grasslands. Daniel continues, my incredible horsemanship is merely a startling coincidence. Second, is there any plan in the works to do a piece on the controversy surrounding the Michael Moore-produced Planet of the Humans, which was released for free on YouTube but removed recently over a copyright dispute? I'm in an eco-socialist Facebook group that was briefly consumed with heated debate over the film's inaccuracies, falsehoods, and purported kernels of truth. Anyways, thought it would be a good subject matter for you folks to tackle. Thanks for your time. Dan in Portland, Maine. P.S. I'm really hoping this gets read on the air, if only to expose more people to very ta talented Hungarian cowboys that dress like Hogwarts faculty. And I not, cannot thank Dan enough because... The outfit, <laughs> the clothes these guys wear are right out of Harry Potter. So now I'm wondering if they were the inspiration for the costumes because they are spot on Hogwarts faculty. So look up the Shikos of the Pushta, and I'm not going to spell it, so good luck to you. And check out because those are some real high roller threads. As for the Michael Moore movie, yeah, I heard it sucked. And if anyone else had done it nobody would have ever cared so we'll 
take a hard pass on talking about this stupid movie Michael Moore did. Michael Moore was awesome in saving the Flint Voice alternative and independent newspaper and turning it into a statewide publication, the Michigan Voice. He was superb in doing that and shutting it down and ending an independent voice in Michigan. That wasn't so great because he needed to get a job over at Mother Jones and that all sucked. But the printers from The Voice... They ended up in the hands of the Sandinista, so that's cool. And Roger and Me was groundbreaking. But yeah, I heard this new movie really sucked from a lot of people who I respect. So, again, hard pass. Uh, we got another guest suggestion. This one from Chris, who writes, Hi, Chuck. Hope you're recovering and get well soon. I think this might be an interesting interview. Chris then provides a link to I Want to Believe, Posadism, UFOs, and Apocalypse Communism by journalist and social critic A.M. Gitlis. Chris says Gitlis does the Antifada podcast. So I want you listeners to decide if we should have A.M. Gitlis on the show to discuss his book. Here's the description of the publisher's page. Advocating nuclear war, attempting communication with dolphins, and taking an interest in the paranormal and UFOs, there's perhaps no greater or stranger cautionary tale for the left than that of... Posadism. So what do you think? Email me at chuck at thisishell.com. Tell me if we should have A.M. Gitlis on to talk about his book, I Want to Believe, Posadism, UFOs, and Apocalypse Communism. Finally, we've been getting a ton of applications from people to work on This Is Hell. Apparently, there's some new application format via Facebook. But tip to anyone sending an application. As a former dishwasher myself, Never put the fact that you wash dishes for a living in your employment history. Whenever I did, I never got the job. It was almost as if they looked at that occupation as some sort of work release from county jail, which it often was. And washing dishes is miserable work. So all it tells your possible employer is you're willing to do disgusting, grueling, hot work at minimum wage. And for all of you who have never washed dishes for a living, as all dishwashers and former dishwashers know from re-examining their life while bent over a sink covered in sweat and surrounded by steam, if you switch the first letters around in dishwasher, you get wish-dasher. And if there's one thing washing dishes does, boy, it dashes all your wishes. God, I hated washing dishes. That's listener feedback. If you have guest suggestions, comments on the show, questions about past guests, or just want to tell us a topic or story you'd like to hear us cover, email us at chuck at thisishell.com or tweet to us at thisishellradio, send us a message, or even email Alex. This is hell. Coming up on This Is Hell, the scripted language meant to delegitimize the protests against police violence. During the moment of truth with Jeff Dorch, and Jeff gets real with a Venice Beach rabbi. More of your answers to this week's question mail, as well as announcing this week's winner. And we will tell you what's happening on tomorrow's Patreon podcast, as well, exclusively for subscribers at patreon.com slash thisishell. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap radio show podcast live stream host, Chuck Mertz. Producing is Alex Jerry, live from late capitalism, where the only thing that is not privately owned is our own privacy. This is hell. The language surrounding the protests against police violence seems almost intentionally scripted to delegitimize the public's demand for an end to racial violence conducted by police with impunity. Here to help us decipher what is said about the protests and why returning to This Is Hell, we are very happy to have back on the show writer William C. Anderson, who posted the Truth Out article, Forget Looting, Capitalism is the Real Robbery, as well as the Roar magazine article, We Defend Ourselves So We Can 
all breathe in peace. Welcome back to This Is How, William. Hey, how are you doing? Good. It's great to have you back on the show. William has appeared on This Is Hell twice in the past. He was on most recently back in June 2018 to discuss a book he co-authored with another past guest on the show, Zoe Samudzi. That book is called As Black as Resistance, Finding the Conditions for Liberation. You can find both of our past interviews with William at our website, thisishell.com. And you can follow William on Twitter at William C. and then the word son, S-O-N. After President Trump said... When the looting starts, the shooting starts. You wrote, the President of the United States threatened state-sanctioned murder in response to looting, laying bare the way in which white supremacy, capitalism, and the state work together to violently repress people who defend black life. Are those who President Trump and many in the media see as looters, are they protecting black life? And if so, how? What do they miss? What do President Trump's supporters miss? What do the media miss when they don't see this as an act of protecting black people? Um, you know, uh, people get sucked in to focusing on looting and small businesses being hurt. Uh, for the same reason, people get sucked in to narratives like so-called black-on-black crime. The message is essentially the reaction of people to oppression is just as bad or worse than the conditions that caused it. And it's basically a form of uh, victim blaming. People, they find it so much easier to confront the person on the street, you know, reacting at a protest than they do the systemic problems that are in front of us. And, you know, if the police were not killing black people, we wouldn't have these, you know, so-called looters in the first place, right? And I want to challenge people's use of that word, too, um, as well as the word riot, because these are really racialized um, words that have a lot of black death and stigma and oppression attached to them. Um, black people's introduction and our, our, you know, beginning in this country was robbery. We're, we are stolen people. Our labor is stolen. Our lives are still being stolen by the police, and they always have been. And we're even being robbed of every resource that's supposed to be a guaranteed right um, as citizens in this country, which we're not actually truly considered. So we've had to fight and die just to get what we have now, which is not enough. And we're descended, you know, from people who had it made illegal for us to read and write. And here we are now having to still fight for education, health care, housing, and the limited labor protections that we have, right? In this moment, it's absurd to focus on Black people uprising and taking things um, when there are 42 million people currently out of work and unemployed since this pandemic happened. There's a gargantuan robbery taking place on Wall Street by the wealthy in this country. CEOs who make so much money that it would take several lifetimes to spend won't even give their employees health care. And then someone takes something out of a multinational corporation's property that rakes in billions while exploiting the people who work there. And people sympathize more with the property. That's actually absurd. Um, you hear people say, you know, this is why the police treat y'all like that, which reinforces the criminalization and racial profiling and actually makes the point that the police are racist. Um, and you hear people say stuff like, you know, stop, this is going to make people think badly about us. But people have to actually focus on the real theft that's happening. And that's capitalism, because capitalism created these conditions to begin with. 
Um, I was reading, I was actually reading before we got on the call, I was reading Malcolm X's speech at the London School of Economics. And he was talking about the uprising in New York. I think it was in 1965 when he uh, was there. But he was talking about this too. He was saying, you know, that the riots weren't, weren't riots in the first place. And he was saying that they were reactions to police brutality. And when store windows were broken in the black community, it made it appear that this was, you know, something that was being done by people who were, you know, he said like hoodlums and vagrants and criminals when they were actually people reacting to civil rights violations. So, you know, people get, people get distracted and they get uh, steered away from the actual focus of what things should be. Uh, folks are reacting to property because they can't necessarily address the, the issues at hand in a society that has disempowered people. So when you go to the, when you go to the voting booths, and you're disenfranchised, and you keep having to vote for somebody in a system where all of these politicians are really in cahoots, and you know, I think you have the illusion of choice. Then, of course, you're going to react in ways eventually that are going to be, you know, against the things that are right in front of you. People are going to react that way. It's, it's, it makes sense, but the true issue at hand is the capitalist stuff that is making people have to do that in the first place. Because if that wasn't in existence, we wouldn't be here, would we? When there was the 50th anniversary of what took place in Detroit back in 1968, 67, uh, the uh, Detroit Free Press, Detroit News, they ran a front page article about how they no longer were going to be referring to it as they had for 50 years as the riots that were taking place in Detroit. Instead, they started to refer to it as an uprising. And finally, in both the Detroit Free Press and the Detroit News, they only refer to those what was called what were called riots as an uprising. What is wrong with the word riot? What does it mislead us into thinking? How does it take away the political agency of the people on the ground who are protesting against police violence? Well, ultimately, I think that when you call it a riot again, there's a history there. Um, You can think about like the term race riots. You hear the massacre that occurred on Black Wall Street in Tulsa. You hear that referred to as a race riot in the uh, old newspaper clippings. And there are a lot of massacres of black people historically that were called race riots. Um, You know, all of this language is very, very uh, purposeful. And we have to be careful about how we describe things, especially if you hear the state and the media using these terms, you have to be extremely careful because it's so intentional and it's used as a way to actually get people to not sympathize, have empathy, and not share solidarity with the people on the ground who are fighting back against an unjust system. So we don't want to get caught in this good protester versus bad protester narrative stuff. We don't want to get involved in in reproducing uh, police narratives about good versus bad protesters. If we start doing that, then we risk uh, starting to sympathize with getting people to sympathize with the police rather than ourselves. And, you know, the issues that created this problem in the first place, again, are what we need to focus on. So there are like a lot of ways to protest and we can't be certain, you know, why someone is stealing or why someone is uh, taking or what they're, you know, going to do with what they took afterwards. You know, there are people out here who are 
you know, reclaiming goods because they want to distribute them to people in need. Um, there are people who are doing that because they view taking back in that way a political act as a reclam as reclaiming. Um, you know, there are people who take things because they feel like it too. There are people who take things because they need them. So the concern is the bigger picture here, and that's none of this would be happening if the police were killing people in the first place, and we cannot get distracted from that. I'm so glad that we're having you on today because you're an exceptional writer, and I wanted to talk about this language that we've been hearing around the protests. Looting is robbery during war or riot by definition. In the state of California, under Penal Code 463, state laws view uh, looting as an any burglary committed during a state of emergency. Historically, looting and pillaging was a crime committed by soldiers against civilians only during war. In your opinion, what is the point of using a term that by definition, historically and even legally is not accurate and in every instance pertains only to war? Why does the media in the state want the citizenry and voters and viewers to believe we are in a state of war? Well, you know, one of the things that I think a lot about is citizenship. And as I mentioned uh, prior just now, black people in this country are not considered true citizens. Um, that's why all of the things that are supposed to be promises and guarantees of citizenship do not necessarily apply to us. Um, it, it's definitely intentional to use these sorts of terms because it, it, is a, it is a concerted effort to make black people seem as if we are the enemy and that we are bringing whatever is happening to us on ourselves. So you can think about, for example, in Ferguson, when the police were referring to black people um, as enemy combatants and, and using this war language uh, against people who are uprising there. These sort, this has always happened. Black people are not considered true citizens. So when you start getting people to think, oh, they deserve that, or oh, we brought this on ourselves and this is our fault, that's when you start to take away people having solidarity and understanding with uh, you know, the protesters and people who are resistant on the ground. It's very intentional. So you have to turn people who are protesting uh, into enemies. You have to turn the protest and the uprising and the movement inside out and create uh, division. So you have people who become so concerned with respectability and how the protests look and how um, the media is portraying it that they start feeling like they have to police the actions that are going on and you know they become so focused on what do we need to do to make sure everything looks the way that it should there is more than one way to protest and that has always been the case it's always been the case uh, we have to actually start thinking about the the actual history here rioting and looting as we know them are terms that have always been used against black people historically to accomplish the things that i've just talked about and we have to push back against that these are uprisings these are rebellions these are revolts that we're seeing and these are part of a necessary process that needs to take place to transform the conditions in this society because people have tolerated uh, as much as they possibly can, 
And when people start to push back after saying, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore, we need to share solidarity with them, period. We don't need to be saying, oh, why are they taking stuff out of Target? Why are they taking stuff out of Best Buy? Why did they break that window? When there's a much, much larger robbery going on in this country, and that's the robbery of Black life. That's the robbery of people's health care. That's the robbery of people's housing. That's the robbery of people having the resources that they need to survive and have a life in this country. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And this is, you know, this is absurd that people are focusing on looting and talking about looters. People, there's, there's tens of millions of people out of work. Like, bigger picture here. Like, at the end of the day, it's about the bigger picture. Like, let's focus on that. I personally, and this might say something horrible about me, I don't know. I personally, I cannot take watching even one second of what happened to George Floyd. I watched the video once, and I don't need to see it again. Yet, it is being showed every day, every night. The national news last night, CBS, ABC, NBC, they each showed it again. You write, lynchings thrive off spectatorship. For white supremacists, the act of killing is also an act of fellowship, an opportunity for indoctrination. Simply spreading images of racist killings and asking the state to stop killing us is not going to stop them. In fact, while it's important to publicize the fact that these killings are occurring, Sometimes the spread of such images also galvanizes white supremacists. How does the witnessing of lynching indoctrinate white supremacists? Because they keep showing these killings over and over again. And I keep wondering, is it as the media repeats, important to see the video so we understand the violent cruelty that police are using against uh, black people? Or is this unfortunately potentially spreading even more white supremacy? You know... Um, we have to understand that a lot of this, this stuff is a part of a process that we see over and over and over again. Um, we know that the police are killing us. We know the police are killing us. I don't need to see a video of the police killing a black person to know that the police are killing us. I don't need to see evidence of the police killing a black person to know that the police are killing us. The police have always killed black people. That has been their purpose since their birth, since the birth of birth of the modern police force, as we know it, this has happened. So we can sit up here and say, you know, oh, well, where's the tape? Where's the footage? Where's this? Where's that? But all of all of that narrative about needing to see what actually happened plays into the to the the binary of innocence and guilt and saying hey do we need to do we need to justify the killing in the first place or is the or is the killing not justified when in fact we know that the extrajudicial killing of black people lynching and historically the violence that has taken place against black people is something that has never been justified that is the that is the legacy of all of this death and all of this brutality that has been waged against black people in the first place. So I don't feel like it's good to get caught up in evidence when we know what has happened to black people in this country has happened with or without so-called innocence and guilt. So what you end up doing is you have these videos that are widely circulating that are traumatizing black people 
And they also take, they take away a lot from the person who's actually being brutalized, who's being killed and who's being abused in the video. Because I'll tell you right now, if anything were ever to happen to me and I was to be killed by a police officer or whatever the case may be, if I'm experiencing some sort of violence from white supremacy in this country and it's caught on camera or tape or whatever, I don't want it to circulate. I don't want it to be shared by some viral influencer saying people need to see this so that they can get retweets. I want people to do something that is an act of rebellion that strikes back at what took my life in the first place. I don't want people to share a viral video of me and have it circulated and have it end up in white supremacist forums so that they can joke about it and copy and paste it, you know, in uh, little goofy videos and memes that they make to joke about it. I want people to do something in response to that violence that happened to me if something happened to me like that. And that's what's taken away from a lot of the people who fall victim, because what if they feel the same way? You don't know if people want those videos of them being killed circulating like that. I don't want that. So, you know, when you see uh, like the family of Mike Brown, who told people to stop circulating images of him and his body laying in the street after that happened, you don't know what people who are victims of police brutality and other forms of white supremacist violence want in the first place. People assume because they feel a sense of ownership over black people's bodies and they feel like they can do whatever they want because the legacy is black people are property. We can do whatever we want with their bodies and we can share and, you know, disseminate these images as we want. But that's, that's absolutely, absolutely um, ridiculous. Like we can't, we can't continue feeling like we have the right to just take people's last moments, these precious moments of their life, these really sensitive moments of their life and just do with them whatever we please. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not right. It's just not right. And so we have to think about the, also the, the legacy of what we know black death to be when it comes to images in this country, which is, you know, obviously there's lynching photos we can bring up, which were circulated as on postcards to celebrate black death. That still happens. Like I mentioned, like the white supremacists are still doing that. So there's way more to this than actually just sharing something um, that, you know, is going to help the cause because it's actually really traumatic and it's not, it's not necessarily helpful to uh, try to always have to galvanize people by saying, look at what happened here, you know, force people to see it so that they'll get angry. We need to tell people why, the, why they need to be angry in the first place without having to show them a murder. If we were relying on murder to galvanize people, to get people on our side, then that's a problem. We need to be focused on how we can get people to understand that this society is killing us without needing to have this, this whole, you know, this whole like really pornographic uh, relationship with seeing uh, black death that, you know, white supremacists engage in, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not helping us. 
Yeah, pornographic is a good word, and it reminds me of a <clears throat> conversation we were having on Monday with uh, art critic uh, Ariella Aisha Azale, and she was talking about the imperialist and the colonial nature of photography and how you claim the things that you see when you are taking a picture in photography. It wasn't the intention of photography, but she even argues in her book that imperialism and colonialism was fortified and exacerbated by photography. So there's this kind of invasion and taking over and claiming property over the individual who you are taking the photo of. And I couldn't help but think about that during your response to the question. You also write that as protesters are being accused of looting and rioting in Minneapolis or anywhere else, this time uh, demands that we reflect on the systematic robbery of black America, as you're pointing out. Make this one really important distinction. You write, corporations of the United States, again, have walked away with an unprecedented and astronomical amount of money in 2020. With no accountability in sight, there was little to no opposition to their monumental robbery. They were handed trillions. Politicians working in service to the corporate elite and afraid of appearing opposed to a deal that would largely benefit Wall Street pushed it through. Of course, the deal left many vulnerable people in the dust. This is definitely not a perspective, William, that has been shared on any establishment TV news outlets, even with several being on 24-7 and constantly talking about the uprising over the last week. To you, what explains the lack of a connection between the CARES Act, which gave trillions to the already rich and wealthy corporations? What explains to you this only being seen as protests against police violence and not having these other economic aspects to it? Yeah, um, it's, it's, yeah, you know, uh, corporations in the U.S. did walk away with an unprecedented amount of money again. Um, and yes, they were handed trillions. That money is stolen. So let, let me say that again. That money is stolen. So when we're talking about people stealing out of stores or stealing in a community or stealing from a, a business franchise, that is, it, it actually pales in comparison to the theft that has taken place by from Wall Street. So that money stolen from workers and people who pay taxes. Um, these are corporations that are polluting, that are underpaying their employees, that are not providing health care, that are not doing anything for the communities that they extract from. Uh, you know, politicians working in service to these corporate elite have push this pandemic response deal through uncritically with little to no opposition. And people got a measly $1,200 check and some fraudulent protections like eviction bans. And I call them fraudulent because they weren't actually enforced. You know, the, the deal left a lot of vulnerable people in the dust. No changes have been made after the unresolved debt crisis that took place in 2008 that devastated vulnerable people with austerity and social cuts. You know, these cuts to social needs and important resources that are, are hurting us while wealthy people are handed trillions and allowed to hoard more and more and more. You know, the wealth, some of the wealthiest people in the world are making billions right now in, in the midst of the pandemic. And that it's, it's so disgusting. And so that, that needs our attention. And that, that needs to be a, a central message here about everything that's taking place. That's, it's not a coincidence that all of this is happening right now. This is a, very much a response to that violence. So if we wanna really talk about who's hurting communities by taking from them, then that's who we need to be talking about. 
you know, there's, there, there's like a monopoly on violence, right? When you talk about, hey, the protests have to be, uh, they have to be peaceful and they, you know, we can't, we can't do anything that's, you know, quote unquote violent. Well, the state has a monopoly on violence. The state, the state is considered the only uh, justify to have the only justifiable use of violence in this society. And the state also, what we, when we think about Wall Street, has a monopoly on theft because the state is, 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 is actually saying we're the only ones who get to steal. We're the only ones who get to take. You can't take anything from us. We only get to take from you. We're going to take your tax dollars and give them to the police who also steal. That's called civil asset forfeiture. When the police are able to go into somebody's home and take something that uh, they please and, you know, during searches and raids and keep and even sell what they take and give them permission to be able to, you know, claim whatever they want just and give them an incentive to take from people. The state has a monopoly on theft there. And then the state has a monopoly on theft when we when it comes to these corporations that they enable to go throughout the world exploiting communities and exploiting people who are in need and taking from them without giving anything back. We can't we can't let we can't let the state actually think that that's okay for us to be taken from and for us to be robbed and for some person who's reacting to that that is, you know, unjustifiable and that's wrong. That's, that is a complete imbalance of, of the way things should be viewed. That's, that does nothing to recognize power. We absolutely have to make sure that people understand that this is not a two, two sides on equal footing. These are people who are vulnerable and who are exploited and who have been oppressed and who are reacting and they're going up against a huge force and it is it is just you know it's 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 really wrong to think that we should um we should have as much sympathy for a piece of property or for police as we should for people who fall victim to these much larger forces that i'm talking about one of the things that you mention is just out, just in, in, incredible. You write, in a nation that has never gotten past the Civil War, it fought over a wealthy class, not giving up slavery profits, defending the wealthy as a tradition. The same people who created and currently benefit from the current crisis are intentionally mismanaging plenty of other parts of our existence. Uh, William, I know this is a gigantic question, but why have we never gotten past the Civil War? <laughs> that is that is a huge question. Um, uh, I would say that we've never gotten past the Civil War because after the South lost the war, um, there was never a real there there was never a true stamping out of Confederate sentiments. There was never a true resolution. Black people were not truly protected from the resentment 
of the white supremacists that they were surrounded by. And that has continued through generations following the war. I'm from Alabama. I grew up in the midst of that. The, whether it, we're talking about Confederate monuments, whether we're talking about the, con, the you know, neo-Confederate sentiment, the, the revivalism of the Confederacy that we see in this, uh, this, this neo-Confederate movement, the Daughters of the Confederacy, so on and so forth, that sort of thing isn't supposed to be acceptable especially when you're talking about, you know, when you're thinking about it in the sense that this is right, this is a rebel group, right? Rebel groups are not supposed to be able to express the things that cause them to, you know, take on the state, right? They're supposed to be told, hey, you can't, you can't do that anymore. That didn't happen. And that's because that's not truly something that is uh, an actual disagreement when it comes to black people and our uh our oppression that is very much something that that doesn't have borders within this country whether state borders it doesn't have any place that is contained it's not just in the south that is a, a a fundamental part of the united states of america you know malcolm x also said when you think about the United States and, you know, you hear people talking about the racism in the South. This is happening in the South. Um, he said, anytime you're south of the Canadian border, you're in the South. This country has a racism problem in general. And the reason that we've never gotten past the Civil War is because there has never been a safe haven for Black people. There has never been a true place that we could go to find peace and security in this country. As much as we move around and as much as we have, you know, migrated throughout this country, there's never been a place that guaranteed us safety. So the conflict that is very much at the core of the Civil War, uh, slavery um, and, and, and the oppression of Black people is something that's universal and it's a, in, in the United States and it's allowed to flourish so that's that's really i think the the essence of why it's never been completely eradicated because racism and the things that made the conflict possible to begin with have never uh been gotten past it's always going to be an issue in this country until we actually start to reshape this society completely and Unless we do that, we're going to just continue dealing with all of this stuff over and over and over again until who knows what happens. And you point out that we should expect this. You write that the murder of George Floyd by Minneapolis police comes on the heels of the killings of Ahmad Arbery in Brunswick, Georgia, and Brianna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky. These killings were committed by current and former law enforcement. We should expect uprisings. We should expect property to be damaged as people rise up against the racist systems complicit with racist violence. Yes, we should definitely expect this. So to you, what does it say about the media's and much of the more well-off public's shock at an uprising that actually took place that was inevitable why what to you what explains their shock it's something that you and i saw as eventually inevitable and unavoidable 
Um, it says that a lot of people um, choose to be willfully ignorant and naive. It says that a lot of people are misinformed. It says that a lot of people are ignorant. It says that a lot of people um, need to be organized. It says that a lot of people need to be politicized. It says that a lot of people uh, need to um, really be put in a position where they have a purpose and and supporting what's happening in the streets right now. And so, you know, I, I really want to make sure that people understand that we need resources. Um, we need safety, we need security, we need housing, we need education, we need food, and we need an actual complete reshaping of the society. It's not working, and it hasn't been working since Ferguson. It hasn't been working since Standing Rock. It hasn't been working since Occupy. It hasn't been working since the uprising in LA after Rodney King. It hasn't been working since the rebellions in Watts and Newark and in Detroit. It hasn't been working since King was assassinated and, and people were uprising then. So it, it is, you know, really historically, you know, it's normal that people have taken things and reacted to property in that sense, right? All those, all those, uh, all of those uprisings and rebellions I just named, like that was happening then. And so protesters are still seeing the state claim that monopoly on violence that I mentioned. And they're still seeing the same problems occurring in in our communities that have been fought against for years people are really tired and people are exhausted and if people don't want things to be this way then we have to start in this we have to start with us in this moment we have to start with survival programs we have to start with free health care clinics we have to start with free breakfast programs freedom schools housing and more we have to start with what we know we can do in our communities for ourselves and we have to create the models that we need in our communities without state involvement and begin changing these things for the better right now. And we have to focus on actually doing things that are substantial, that demand much more than we have ever imagined, and not try to cut our, sell ourselves short and say, oh, we're only going to be able to get this. This is what's realistic. We have to demand as much as possible right now, because if people are, are, are shocked about you know this and they're they're being misinformed then we need to inform them that a whole other world can be possible if we start doing the organizing work and we start you know really uh doing the substantial uh transformation that needs to uh take place in this society William, it is always spectacular talking to you. We have been speaking with writer William C. Anderson, who posted the Truth Out article, Forget Looting, Capitalism is the Real Robbery, as well as the Roar magazine article, We Defend Ourselves So We Can All Breathe in Peace. You can follow William on Twitter at William, the letter C, and then the word son, S-O-N. So William C. Son, one last question for you, William. And as we always do, and as you know, because you've been on the show twice before, our final question is the question from hell. The question we might hate to ask, you might hate to answer, our audience might hate your response. Uh, I, th I think this one might be a little bit too simple for you there, uh, William. 
You write, the robbery we should concern ourselves with is the theft perpetrated by a system that creates desperation where people in need have to go and take for themselves what should be a guaranteed right. Capitalism encourages thievery from the top down. William, can there be capitalism that is not about robbing others? Hell no. That is the correct answer, my friend. That is the correct answer. That was the answer we're looking for. Would you like to elaborate on that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just always, I'm always hearing people ask that question and it is capitalism is fundamentally at its core about taking and stealing from people. It is about stolen wages and labor at its core. That is uh, like the police are about killing black people and brutalizing black people at their core. And at the beginning of their history, capitalism is about taking and extracting and being vulturistic at its core. You are never in a system, under a system that is built on that logic going to have any sort of fairness and any sort of equity. Capitalism has to be abolished. That is fundamental, like fundamental to its, to its inception that you, you take and you exploit for the sake of profit. There's no such thing as fair capitalism. And so if we want to see a better world, capitalism has to go. It absolutely has to go. Yeah, capitalism as a vulture and us as it's carrying totally makes sounds about right. William, thank you again for being back on our show. I really appreciate it, and I've always really enjoyed our conversation, so you know I'm going to be irritating you for the rest of your life to keep coming back on our show. <laughs> That's very flattering. <laughs> um, I hope that you uh, stay safe out here, and everybody that listens to this stays safe. Um, everybody remain vigilant and um, take care of each other. And thanks for having me on. No, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good weekend, sir. You too. Keeping it real, real deep in debt since 1996. This is hell. And if you want to help us climb out of that debt, you can su- subscribe to tomorrow's Patreon podcast at patreon.com slash this is hell. Coming up during the moment of truth with Jeff Dorch and Jeff gets real with a Venice Beach rabbi. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap tooth radio show podcast live stream host Chuck Mertz. Producing this week's show is Alex Jerry. Alex, do you have any more answers to this week's question mail, which is what you got on your face? What you got on your face? The Our favorite answer will win a This Is Hell medical face mask, which you can see right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. You can leave your answer to this week's question mail at our Facebook page, on Twitter. You can email it to us. We're going to be announcing the winner after Jeff in just a few minutes when he does the moment of truth. Alex, how are listeners answering the question from hell so far? Uh, what you got on your face? What you got on your face? Michael LP says protein. Ugh. Krimsky K says, I got nothing. <laughs> I got, I like that. Barrett M says, way too much eyeliner. Uh, David Z says, Khmer Rouge. Oh, oh boy, David. <laughs> Shame on you, David. Josh J says, oh, that that's Bob Kroll's wife, soon to be ex-wife. Oof, Who's uh, Bob Kroll? Uh, Minneapolis police chief. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. Uh, Aaron D says, lots of retinol cream. The Trump transcendency has aged me terribly. <laughs> Uh, Mike, uh, Mark C says, blush, I can't stop blushing. <laughs> blushing as a white man at the behavior of police attitudes towards minorities in this country and the lack of any justice for that behavior. Blushing at just about every word that comes out of fearless leader's face. Blushing after the utter lack of concern by the general public about climate change. All right. <laughs> Jez B says, a gaping hole from a less lethal round. <laughs> Oof. Uh, 
Uh, Bradley R. says, a Tom Cotton mask for facial recognition purposes. <laughs> Max I says, Tom Selleck. That's gross. What you got on your face? So what you got on your face? Andres says, the boot of the state. I begged them to take it off my neck. Compromise for the win. And finally, uh, Anita B. says, Kofifi19 waiting for vaccination. Uh, Alex will have the rest of your answers to this week's question mail following Jeff, and we will be announcing the winner on Patreon tomorrow. Alex, what is the interview that we're going to be playing tomorrow on Patreon at patreon.com slash this is how? I'm working on it. It's something from the 90s, so I just got to make sure that uh, the audio quality of that is good. Yeah, we did an interview, I think, way back in 1997, 98, 99, sometime in that period, about the militarization of the police back then, 20-some years ago, when people were already very concerned about it and had been concerned about it for several years, so I thought it would be timely considering the fact that the Minneapolis police and other police departments are now actually considering no longer buying military equipment from the Pentagon. And if we could make it so police departments can, can no longer buy any equipment from the Pentagon directly, indirectly, through subcontractors in any way, it'd be a really big step towards the demilitarization of the police. Also, what about taking the damn things back? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's nuts to hear about, like, well, we got to stop this from happening. It's like, okay, well, there's thousands of tanks. Maybe take those back? Exactly. And I'll be revealing a secret about myself. And that secret is, if I was not born legally blind, I am absolutely positive. I have no doubt, no question, I would be a complete dick. But you can only hear that if you subscribe to completely listener-supported This Is Hell on Patreon at patreon.com slash thisishell. You can also show your support by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support where you can see all the ways you can help out This Is Hell, including all of our merch, as well as the This Is Hell medical face mask. During the moment of truth, Jeff Dorchin is going to get real with a Venice Beach rabbi. We'll also have the rest of your answers to this week's Question from Hell. Announce our favorite and the... Uh, Winner of this week's prize, and we'll find out from Alex what's happening on next week's shows. Keep in mind, a lot of the questions I asked this week were written while I was high. This is hell. My guess is you have Hefe on the line. One, two, you know what to do. Welcome to the moment of truth, the thirst that is the drink, the get real Shabbat, dateline about two weeks ago, the subject of the email was, I am over this thing and I want my life back, how about you? It came from a temple advertising itself as, an emerging community for the Jewishly curious in Venice, California. I know, I know, but they have as much right to express their feelings as anyone. Remember, this was before the protests, before George Floyd was murdered, even before Ahmaud Arbery was ambushed and killed for jogging while black. So she's talking about the pandemic and lockdown, nothing else, but we'll be looking at it with perfect hindsight. The body of the message expounded, This is a care email. To state it plainly, I reserve the right to say, I am not okay, and I'm not. This has been going on too long. The loss is more than my small heart can bear, and with no end in sight. 
I hold space for all of my flaws, uglies, and rough edges to say, I hate this. It feels good to let it all out. It feels good to admit that my life isn't awesome. It feels great to acknowledge just how great this isn't. That's about all that's great. And you? Let's hear it. This Friday night, tomorrow, the temple creates a forum to share our truths. I personally invite you into our Zoom sanctuary during our creative and musically driven Shabbat Take Me Higher services. Throughout the service, one at a time, we will be invited to share a public check-in. I want to hear in real time how you are doing, and I will ask you to do this in front of a personally chosen background image that expresses creatively how you are doing. The photo above is a double rainbow on the first day of quarantine, with my sleeping daughter, the Golda, at the end of the rainbow. I did not make that up. Our minute or two together will give you the chance to express yourself. Let us know why you chose that image and really just say how you are doing. Quarantine Shabbat, such and such date and time, streaming on such and such temple.org slash live and Facebook live. Wishing you health, sending you care, and holding space for the grief, pain, loss, and sorrow. It's real. Love. The rabbi on whom, allegedly, the recurring female rabbi character played by Catherine Hahn on Transparent was based. I had a visceral, if not vicious, reaction to this extremely vulnerable, heartfelt email. I would like to explain why. And my apologies in advance, I'm just sharing what I'm not okay about. I could have shared it with the congregation, but I would have easily exceeded the time limit. I understand the rabbi is just offering her congregation of Jew-curious Oceansiders a forum to vent their sorrows without fearing judgment or being saddled with guilt. Well, that's an attempt that seems to require thwarting from the perpetually perverse. Rabbi, Jews, Folksinger congregants, Jew-curious, and allied gawkers, I don't want my life back. If I'd had a good life, Going into this shit show, I might, but I didn't. To be quite honest, Rabbi Erzatz Catherine Hahn, my life hasn't changed that much. What this quarantine has provided for the first time in my life are conditions in which most of the people in the world are forced to do exactly what I always do, confront my stupid self, be bored yet fearful of the future, struggle to make myself and my living space presentable to an outside world that for the most part couldn't care less, suffer mortal anxiety when leaving the house, agonize every day over the unnecessary suffering and deaths of others caused by the callous disregard of their leaders and the uber-wealthy, and entertain myself in hopes of staving off an emotional plummet into the existential abyss. For once I feel validated, in sync with the general mass of humanity. Can't you just leave well enough alone? You have one job now, to stay out of other people's way and not make them sick. See, that's always been my job. Now you, sad sacks, longing for the return of your wonderful lives, know how it feels to recognize that the best thing you can do for the world is to de-emphasize your existence. Tamp yourselves down a little bit. 
relinquish the spotlight. Curb your goddamn enthusiasm. Sit on the sidelines and let the actually essential people do what needs to be done to keep the superfluous population comfortable and alive, if either are at all possible. You should be grateful to have such a clearly delineated list of duties laid out for you, but no, you want more. I will confess that a small part of my very unfair reaction has to do with the self-centeredness of the characters in Transparent, especially in the latter part of Season 2 and on through, I'm assuming, the rest of the series. They were like the Seinfeld characters minus the humanity. I've recently been told the closing of the final season was very good, so perhaps I'll skip to that if I ever decide to return to the scene of the aesthetic crimes. I'm sure the show's mission wasn't to make upper-middle-class queer Jews hate themselves, so there must have been something very sophisticated going on there, much too sophisticated for a simple kid like me from the heteronormative town of Mayberry to figure out. Of course, Rabbi, that's not your fault. All of us of a certain generation from the theater scene in Chicago know who's to blame, but we also must give her credit for some excellent writing and directing, and for including that scene of Amy Landecker leaning on her kitchen counter naked. That woman takes care of herself. Rabbi, you say in your emissive that you want people to provide their own Zoom backgrounds to express how they are. I don't know what you're expecting. But I hope that at least one person puts up the image of a guinea pig happily munching lettuce in a pleasant terrarium. And you allot your congregants only a minute or two? I hope you're prepared to sense the unexpressed frustration that's bound to have built up like a straining to be held in spastic colon fart on the other side of your screen, unless people really aren't particularly not okay. Maybe their unhappiness is something they can live with a lot more easily than even they are willing to admit. It's not all rosy for me either, you know. I miss people with disposable incomes taking me out to dinner once in a while, but I'm never thrilled with restaurant ambience. I, I prefer to cook for myself, and group joviality rarely fails to irritate me. I miss seeing movies in theaters, but I, I couldn't afford to do it often anyway before, so I'm fine. I know you don't want to hear this, Rabbi, as it's not at all the purpose or the spirit of your communique, but count your blessings. We got global and national fascism currently vying to imprint the soles of their army surplus boots on our faces. But the world's been wrong for a long time. The disparities of wealth and power have increased, but they've always been there and always distorted systems of justice. The violent racism, sexism, gender normative hate judging, ageism, and classism in this nation have never abated. They've only mutated to accommodate changes in superficial conceits in the zeitgeist. There's nothing to go back to except the absence of a need, too often unmet, for gloves, masks, distance, and sensible workplace protocols to protect essential workers, which should never have been absent in any case, and extra germ-conscious caution. I'm not looking forward to a return to the status quo, and I'm not alone. Maybe I should gather a congregation of the doom-curious and send out a newsletter. Tell me what about your old life you dread returning to. It could be your job or your family. It could be the business-as-usual public lack of concern for the needless suffering of others. It could be the mockery by the uber-fattened leeches on society and their less affluent masochistic allies of the perpetually precarious and the already crushed and defeated. 
Be sure to give your one to 30 minute frothy polemic in front of your choice of virtual background that depicts the target of your hatred suffering bloody or fiery annihilation. How about it, Rabbi? Care to subscribe to our mailing list? The Open Temple of Doom newsletter? You'll get periodic updates on our latest cranky crotchets and twisted hopeless crackpot theories of how a fetid, profane humanity might, through some implausible twist of fate or physics, stumble into its undeserved redemption. We use cookies to help us keep track of visitors to our website in case there are some fascist trolls we have to hunt down and execute after the revolution. Please click OK to proceed. This has been the Moment of Truth. Good day! Hey, I really appreciate the shout-out to Spastic Colons during your Moment of Truth today. I, I mean, knew you'd like that, Thank Chuck. you, thank you. Hey, by the way, uh, we have won an award. Uh, we each won an award. Alex won an award. I won an award. You won an award. I won an award? We are recipients of the Buckram Grove Press Award for significant contributions to audio podcasting. What other kind of podcasting is there? Uh, oh, there's video podcasting. Right? Well, I guess so. Uh, and our award is three chap books, which is a term that I had heard in the past, but I couldn't actually remember what it was. It's a centuries-old printer's term for an approximately three by four and a half inch 16 page small booklet and the three books that we received were mark twain quotes on politics to which is added stuff from trump's brain some food for thought <laughs> to go with a good beer and biblioria a book a bookish lexicon inspired by St stephen gilbar's the book book they really know us <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So there you go. So we're winners. And uh, it looks right. like by the list on the back here, nearly every podcast won. No, not oh, nearly. Well. I mean, there's, you know, uh, Behind the News won. Uh, let's see. Uh, Chapo Trap House won. Jimmy Dore oh Show won. Majority Report won. Young Turks won. Did you know Michael Moore has a podcast? Uh, yeah, I see him uh, tweeting about it a lot. Oh, by the way, he did not make that crappy movie that they were talking that you were talking about yeah, earlier. Yeah. He just produced it. Oh, he just produced it. He has nothing. He else. just produced it. I think he just stuck his fat name on it. I don't know why. So he just bankrolled it. That's it. I don't think he even bankrolled it. I wow. think he just said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll call it my." I think he's just like, just like executive producer. You know, sit back and did nothing. And did nothing. Yeah. So he should probably probably try to take his name off of that then well it's too late now <laughs> it sure is. all right jeffy so congratulations on your oh. award i will be sending it to you in the mail and if you want to feel a little bit you know your, your ego is probably really huge now because you won a buckram <laughs> grove press award but i just want well, i'm award-winning podcaster yeah and get this you can tell you uh can you know sate your bloated ego by knowing that both your and alex's last names were completely written or spelled incorrectly Yay! All right. That's so, not the first award that's been on. I think my diploma. <laughs> was it in the past? Was it Jeff Durchin as well? A U instead of an O? Is it E-N or I-N? E-N. Okay, that's that's the wrongest it's ever been. <laughs> Because right. uh, we actually have a part of my family that spells their name D-U-R-C-H-I-N because they came over a different border when the family was escaping. 
Well, that's a very happy story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all survived. Well, I mean, you know. Most because... of us. It was before the Nazis. It it was before the Nazis, but after the Cossacks were shooting people running across the frontier, including my eight-year-old grandfather. (laughs) There's nothing I enjoy more than hearing you laugh while saying the words, the Nazis. I love love laughing when I say Nazis. You know what I hate? What's that? Illinois Nazis. All right, Jeffy, I got to get going. All right. Well, thank you for a wonderful show once again. You stay beautiful. You too. Live from lands stolen from the Potawatomi people, this is Hell. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap tooth radio show podcast live streaming host, Chuck Mertz, producing this week's show. Alex Jerry, this week's question mail is what you got on your face. What you got on your face, the person with our favorite answer, wins a This Is Hell medical face mask. You can see and order your very own This Is Hell face mask right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. So, So all you have to do is either win... Today's question from hell, win the prize, the medical face mask, or if you don't win, you can just order by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. Alex, do you have the rest of yeah, the I answers got a couple, to this week's couple question more. What you got on your face? What you got on your face? GL says, police batons, CS gas, rubber bullets, and bloody tears. Uh-huh. Tom D says, no more rushing out of the house without brushing my teeth. My answer is, my own nasty morning breath. Ugh. And uh, Steve, Wrangler Steve says, the ugly marks of white fragility couple more uh, via Facebook. I'm just pulling those up right now. Uh, Zoe H says, I'm wearing a diesel punk-inspired plague doctor's mask with copper eye cages and a witch's hat made of overlapping scales with sigils of power on each, both of which are made of the tanned flesh of a victim of the animal agricultural industry and a hand-dyed lovely deep purple. This is paired with a cute little purple top and, of course, pictured in my bathroom because where else would an urban millennial witch take a selfie? That was pretty spectacular. There's a picture too, uh, dude. The the steam that mask is going to put someone's eye out. It's awesome. It is so. Uh, the plague mask is really awesome. Uh, Robert B says oligarch ejaculate. <laughs> boy, what a turn from one to the other. <laughs> a boy's got to make a living in these dire times, and uh, that's it. Uh, that band too, oligarch ejaculate. Really, just they're, they're just like a bad ripoff of Guar. Really, when you think about it. My answer to this week's question from hell: What you got on your face? I don't know. We don't have a mirror in here but I'm guessing it's a look of ennui or it's grimacing in pain because my spine is killing me. The answers I liked most were, God, Zoe's was really, really good. Andrew saying, the boot of the state, I begged them to take it off my neck. Compromise for the win. I know Alex hated it, but I like the answer. What you got on your face right now, Dave saying, Khmer Rouge. That was... Jeff giving the public service announcement of milk from washing off all of the tear gas and pepper spray. For real, though, please, please, please just use water and stop spreading the myth. Gorilla Gramophonics saying an expression of <laughs> coprophagic G, which, uh, glee, which everybody should look up. Uh, Michael saying a pair of sunglasses that Rowdy Roddy Piper gave me from the movie They Live. And Adam saying my palm. You got any in there that you really like the most, Alex? Uh, anything from someone who got shot. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to pick the person who got shot or, would, or should we just go with Zoe and her amazing steampunk mask uh, she already got a nice mask yeah you're right she doesn't need a mask alright let's go with uh, I'm going to go with hmm, God I love that Rowdy Rowdy Piper reference but I'm going to go with uh, Andrew saying the boot of the state I begged them to take it off my neck compromise for the win I like compromise for the win I think that's really great so 
There you go. Andrew, you are the winner of this week's question from hell. You have won a This Is Hell medical face mask, which you can wear to protests, which you can wear protecting yourself against the coronavirus. And for those of you who did not win, you can go to thisishell.com and click on support, and you can get one of your very own right now. Alex, who's on the show next week, starting with Monday show? Uh, just booked Monday uh, 10 minutes ago. So uh, on Monday, uh, Yannick Giovanni Marshall will be on to talk about his Al Jazeera op-ed piece, Black Liberal, Your Time is Up. Awesome. And uh, what about Tuesday? Tuesday, Eugene McCarr will be on to talk about his book from Harvard University Press, The Enchantments of Mammon, How Capitalism Became the Religion of Modernity. And didn't he have to cancel because he was sick and then I had to cancel because I was sick? Yeah, there's a lot of sickness going yeah. on. Yeah. I'm uh, real excited about that. And uh, Wednesday, uh, Paul Renfro will be on to talk about his book, Stranger Danger, Family Values, Childhood, and the American Carceral State. I'm really looking forward to that. you know about Thursday yet? Uh, no, not yet. But we will have Jeffy doing another moment of truth. Thanks to this week's guest. First, thanks to Jeff Dorchin for contributing here at the end of the show. Thanks to Rinaldo Magaldi for the this week in Rotten History. Thanks to Theron Humiston for putting these studios together. Richard Norwood for working on our archives. Alex Jerry for producing the show each and every day. Thanks to this week's guests, art curator, filmmaker, and theorist of photography and visual culture, Ariella Aisha Azule, author of Potential History, Unlearning Imperialism, you have to read that book if you are in, in any in, any interest in art, and especially if you're a photographer. This is a fascinating book. Also, thanks to cultural critic, writer, university professor, journalist, and a member of the board of directors for Truthout, Henry A. Giraud. Thanks to sociologist Sarah Beth Kaufman, author of American Roulette, The Social Logic of Death Penalty Sentencing. And finally, thanks to today's guest, writer William C. Anderson, who posted the Truthout article, Forget Looting, Capitalism is the Real Robbery and the Roar Magazine Story. We defend ourselves so we can all breathe in peace. This week's hangover cure was water with lemon and and olive oil. Talk to you tomorrow on Patreon. I hope to see all of you sometime in the f- near future at This Is Hell office hours that we will have again on Friday nights when all these nightmares are finally over. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap tooth radio show podcast live stream host Chuck Mertz producing Alex Jerry. There is only one way to get over all the problems that we've introduced to you on this week's show. That's by sitting down in the lotus position, turning your t- palms towards the sky, focusing on that burning dot in the middle of your forehead, and saying the simple words, Everybody's stupid. My demon is on my butt. <laughs> my demon talks to me in profanity like a sailor. And my demon tries to knock me down. And my demon tries to put me on a hell ride.